What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. Share the podcast with a friend. Leave a comment on a social media post to help penetrate the goofy algorithms that we're all up against to get our things seen on there. And uh, check out the monthly playlist that I've been dropping every first of the month. It's a new year. We got the January one is available. January 2023 playlist link in the episode notes. You can find those on Spotify and Apple look for them every first of the month. There's also a bunch of genre specific playlists up there as well. If if you don't like things that are are kind of wide or genre fluid, I suppose those are uh, those are all there. All the links will be in the episode notes to keep up with myself, or uh, if you want to keep up with any of the artists that are going to be featured on episode 341. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Happy New Year. If you subscribe to this being an opportunity to reset your life or create some new goals for yourself, I wish you all the luck with whatever 
whatever improvements you are trying to implement. I'm super grateful to present yet another best of episode. That means that I've made it through another year and, uh, you know, keeping the podcast going seven years of this thing. Pretty wild. I always dig putting these best of episodes together. It's a good way to reflect and remember some of the conversations I had throughout the year when I'm pumping these things out week after week and and running it as a solo operation. There's not always time to slow things down. So we're kicking off the first episode of 2023 with a look back on 2022. You're going to hear clips from like 20 episodes from this year. I got to link up with some incredible musicians and songwriters this year. I appreciate all the people that took the time to jump on the mics with me this past year and give me some of their time. Uh, This show would not exist without willing participants to come on and it's pretty exciting to see how the past guest roster is growing in size and, and notoriety. So I pretty much bootlegged clips of my own podcast recordings to uh to find these clips so maybe i'll find a different way to do it next year maybe that can be one of my goals for this year is improve the way that i archive but just a couple quick notes before we get into this thing i chose to not include any episodes from the month of december just because they just came out so no shade to the guests that came on in december but uh, just not including any of those in this best of episode. So please do go back if you're new to the cast and check out some of those recent chats. The recent episode with my buddy Corey Scott was killer. Corey works in tour and artist management and had a lot of cool insight on the industry. Really enjoyed that one. And number two, big thank you to past guests of the podcast and a dude that I'm lucky enough to call a friend, Chris Frank from the Frank Irwin Quintet for the new podcast art. I've been wanting to switch things up from the OG podcast art for a while. And Chris created something that really connected with the vision I had in my head. So check that out. I'm going to do a limited amount of prints of those as well. So stay tuned for that. Chris Frank, what? Uh, Just all around, not only just a great dude, but just killer artist. I didn't really know that visual art was his thing because I knew him first as a musician, but then I slowly learned over time seeing the set lists that he would make for his bands, that they were just extremely creative. And uh, he's done a lot of his most recent album art for his stuff that he's working on. And and the visual stuff is just coming together for this dude. And also just... uh, Another thing to celebrate this podcast is it's just crazy to me that honestly, like so many of my favorite artists have been people that I have friendships with now. And that is just a very cool thing about uh, doing this cast for the last seven years. Big thanks to uh, to Chris for working on that thing. Very excited to have some fresh art to celebrate seven years of this thing. Um, if you're new to the cast, I think this is a great way to jump into things and get acquainted with the types of conversations happening here on a weekly basis. If you're a longtime listener, can't say thank you enough for your support. Uh, you'll hear a bit from me throughout the episode, either introing segments or just letting you know the episode in which the clip 
came from. So without further ado, we are going to get into episode 341, the best of 2022. And I thought we'd kick it off with a heavy hitter. Back on episode 301, I got to chat with singer-songwriter Pete Yorn. I was so excited when this opportunity came my way. I've listened to so much Pete Yorn this year because of this conversation. He was just so nice and so cool and generous with his time. He put out a new record this year called Hawaii, and this is he and I chatting about his song Life on a Chain and some other tunes. I remember, I remember some of the moments recording that. That's the song that got me my record deal. I mean, the, or the one that I will say that took it over the top. You know, uh, I had a, I knew I had a meeting. Columbia had been looking at me a little bit. You know, in '99, I had flown to New York and played some songs for the Head, and they were interested, but they weren't kind of ready to bite yet. And uh, I remember I knew I had another meeting with uh, uh their, one of their main a and r people this great guy named will botwin who ultimately signed me and the day before as luck would have it i wrote life on a chain and and at that point they already had i think they heard demos or like the early ver- early recordings of like just another girl murray uh lose you but i hadn't written chain yet and then the day before there was this buddy of mine who lived around the corner no pun intended but literally lived around the corner from me and his name's Tony Berg. And he's a great producer um, and, and kind of uh, patron of young musicians who were coming up in LA at the time. And still he was a guitar player in the, like the, the, the main band for Rocky Horror Picture Show. So he's like a sick muso, but he also like, he produced like, like back in like the early eighties, I don't know if it was late eighties or early nineties, like Michael Penn, no myth. Like that was a kind of a hit. I remember. Um, and he had a great studio in his backyard, but I remember I went to his house the day before and he just randomly goes, Pete, I want you to go home and write a song with this chord in it. And he shows me this weird chord, two finger, simple chord that I'd never really heard before. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I didn't think much of it. And Late, lo and behold, later that night, I don't remember too much about it, but I did write a song and it was Life on a Chain. And that chord is like the third chord in the song. And when I meet with Will Bott, when they and our guy the next day, you know, first he's like, we were watching a Knicks game. I remember because we were both big Nick, New York Knicks fans at the time. It was a playoff game. And uh, and he goes, he goes, so what, what, what have you been working on? You got anything new that we haven't heard yet? Like you know, blatantly. And I was like, well, I, I wrote this song last night. And uh, literally sitting in front of him, grab my acoustic guitar and play him Life in a Chain. And re- like right away, he, he smiled when it ended. And he's like, he's like, that's a good song, man. He's like, it's like, all right, let's, he goes, let's do something. Let's do something. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm getting chills right now talking about it. Cause it's like this one of those, you know, people talk about those moments in your life, you know? That's awesome. Uh, that's, that was a big moment. And, uh, and uh, he goes, let's make a record. Let's make records. And uh, that was the day. And we, you know, the, I got signed. And, and I wouldn't sign the, the actual paperwork until July 27, 1999, because I remember it was my birthday. I was curious with the, that record that you made with Mike Mogus back and forth. 
one of the other ones you said that you know was made more with just one producer that opening track don't want to cry do you feel like that was like one of the most vulnerable moves that you made at that point in your career as far as like opening with that track and like did you feel like that was a risk at all well it didn't writing the song was there it was me at my most vulnerable and that that period like back and forth and the songs on the black album that was like when I went through like a heavy uh, time emotionally that I had never experienced before, where I was um, feeling things really intensely and I was battling very hard to stay afloat, like in my head, but it was a time I wouldn't trade in because it, it gave me tools to kind of carry with me, you know, through the rest of life, wherever that takes me. But those songs, are like the literal songs like a lot of a lot of my songs i write stream of consciousness or i just like kind of feel the music and let it flow through me lyric you know, lyrics and kind of create something more to um more than anything else serve as a reflection for the listener so like they could put anything they want on it but but the songs on back and forth and the black album which were all pretty much written around the same time like 2006 7 those were like those were my diaries. Those were me writing lyrics before music and just getting stuff out and don't want to cry. You know, writing that stuff out felt like felt vulnerable, but the, once we recorded it, like I was like so proud of how it turned out and thought it was really beautiful that for me to decide to put that track one felt like a strength, you know, it felt like this is just cool. Well, at least I thought it was cool and and uh, I want to lead with this because it's different and ultimately like looking back at these songs that you write when you're in pain you know you, go, you look back years later and you can see like I, I look them as as hopeful songs because it's like you can move you'll move you can move through that you know you don't you don't stay stuck in this place you think you're going to be stuck in forever uh, and you look back and it's like it's a it's a reminder that yeah shit was hard but now you're you're good or you know yeah. you move past it and so that's i find i find it like inspiring to still sing those kind of songs now i know one day we will both feel good if i could be with you you know i would i don't want to cry for you there's nothing left to do If it can make me feel better Then I'm gonna cry, cry for you Very cool that I got to chat with Pete. In that full episode, he talks about finding validation and experiences. And for me, that was one of those episodes when it was rap that gave me that validation of what I'm doing with the show and the way that I'm facilitating conversations. So big thanks again to Pete. I don't, I don't think he knew uh, quite how big of a deal it was for me, but I was just so appreciative of just like his enthusiasm to walk through this 20 plus year career with me. And, and he just seemed so stoked to do it. So that was really rad. Next up, we got Brett Detter from the Juliana Theory. This was definitely somebody I did not think I would ever be speaking with. But when I got the opportunity to do so, I was I was super stoked about it and wasn't really sure what to expect out of this one. But Brett was great, and I had a lot of fun geeking out with him about the pop punk emo explosion of the early 2000s and just 
getting his insight on uh, being a part of it. So this is from episode 297. I had played shows with, with, um, with Zayo, so I sort of might have maybe met somebody there that I could call. And yeah. I remember on that tour, you know, we're kind of going out there and our first record has just come out, but nobody knows who we are. Nobody knows what it is. And I remember, for instance, playing Memphis for the first time and well, there were like 11 people there. And I remember playing, I remember playing Denton, Texas on that tour and one, there was one person who watched us play <laughs> and he stood easily 60 feet from the stage so we were we played to absolutely nobody but this one guy who was like standing in the back totally aloof but then on that same tour we got to southern california and there were like a couple hundred people at the show and we're like whoa people know who we are and then we you know we got to sacramento and there was probably like 250 people there and this just to see us and so it was this weird thing where we're like okay maybe this is sort of connecting and I think we recorded our second record, Emotion is Dead, only about like a year at the most after our first record. And sometime around the time of Emotion is Dead coming out, or even maybe right before it came out, there was just a shift. And we just started noticing, you know, we'd get to a certain certain venues we were at a, a few months earlier that there were a couple people at or a decent crowd that just like you said, we'd be like, wait a second, there's a huge line and it's an hour and a half before the show starts. What's going on? And and it happened so quickly that it was almost hard to sort of recognize because it's, it's literally happening so quickly, but it was definitely happening for, you know, other bands that we were friends with and contemporaries too so it was just this sort of thing that was just kind of a wave that was sort of catching I guess this is that one generation younger than that we all picked up guitars and there were so many of us that picked up guitars and I and I think you know so many kids in emo and pop punk like grew up on maybe a little bit more hardcore or a little bit more like DIY punk like whether it was you know whether it was Fugazi or whether it was Jawbox or whether it was just any you know more slightly more left of center and not as poppy kind of stuff, but we all had that sort of DIY ethic. And then, you know, I remember it's very early on in the scene and one our, our second show ever, this, we played with this band that nobody, nobody had heard of yet. And they jumped on the show we were doing and literally they were like super small and they were called at the drive-in and they were amazing. <laughs> and we played together for like 40 people and a couple months they came back to town and we played with them again. And 
it was only maybe a year at most a year after that where we we heard oh at the drive-in just got signed to a major label and so that was the first band where everybody in the scene took note and felt like oh this is a shift this is like a quantum shift because there was there was this the outlier of Jimmy World was already on a major label but they were like on a major label when nobody knew who they were and they were just yeah, somehow yeah. got signed to a major before anything and they were like this anomaly but but it was like all these other bands were either putting out their own records pressing their own seven inches or on really small diy labels and then maybe moving up to a little bit bigger indie label but that was the first time we had seen somebody get signed to a major and so it felt like that was this watershed moment where we noticed that people were like sort of paying attention and then at about the same time that at about the same time that i said a lot more people started coming to our shows all of a sudden people from big record labels started coming around and mm. somebody would introduce themselves oh i'm i'm so and so i'm from mca or i'm from you know whatever i'm from dreamworks or whatever it is and i think you know it's like there was there was LimeWire and there was Kazaa. And I remember not long after we signed to Epic Records, we went in for a meeting and they were like, oh, do you know you've had 800,000 downloads in the last X amount of months? And we're like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, <laughs> you know, like on Kazaa and LimeWire. And we were like, you can track that? And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, we have, we have like, we have all the internal stuff. We, we monitor this. We're paying attention to what's going on. And so first of all, we were blown away by that number because that seems so huge at the time to us. Yeah. And number two is just kind of like, okay, there's this thing. It's probably happening organically. It's the result of grunge. It's the result of pop punk, like being, you know, Green Day and whatever, being big on MTV. It's kind of like this next wave of that and then it's sort of happening organically and then once it started happening organically i assume that's when the labels and people that pay attention to this stuff are just starting to get their computer algorithms where they're figuring out what is happening and they're seeing oh this is a scene this is a thing we can you know we can commoditize this and make make you know more money off this and so then you start yeah having bands some of these bands are starting to show up on MTV or they're starting to have their songs and movies and you know, it's like bigger, bigger tours are starting to happen. And so I, I, I don't, it feels like it was probably just relative, like natural and organic, but it was also, you know, it's like lightning in a bottle. There's just, there's movements that happen. And at the time you almost don't even realize that they're happening because you're, you're in it and you don't really you just don't necessarily notice it when you're inside it as much as when you can look back later and say oh yeah that was that was kind of a time that was a thing and how much does it mean to you man that you can not tour or play any juliana theory shows for years at a time but when you choose to come together the fans are still showing up and invested in hearing this music it's crazy it's um it's something that we don't take lightly and we don't take for granted because especially coming from the place where 
the band was supposed to be a joke and it wasn't anything that we thought was going to last to be able to say it's now whoa this just hit me it's now 20 we're just about to hit 25 years from when we started so um wild. i never thought of that till right now because we started in 97 so to think that 25 years later there's people that will like you know send us dms or say really great things about our music impacted them or will come to the show and you know sing along the front row or whatever that's like that's mind-blowing to me so i i i think that's it's crazy and i never ever would have expected that at the time so yeah it's, it's really wild it's awesome We're going to keep things going in that pop punk emo lane and jump to my chat with Ben Jorgensen from Armor for Sleep. I had Ben on the podcast about a year and a half ago. That was my first time meeting Ben. We had a really cool chat and Armor for Sleep put out a new record this year. So Ben and I caught up about the new record. This is from episode 327. So do you feel like maybe you tapped into a different level of like vulnerability or like catharsis with this record? Because I remember talking to you last time and I feel like you, you said something along the lines that you didn't necessarily always have this connection to like having some therapeutic experience yeah. with writing lyrics. So was yeah. there was there any more sense of this, that with this one? Yeah. So for sure, I feel like in the past I've written about things, but like I feel like I could always be kind of like distant from what I was writing about. So it was always genuine, but it was like, I always thought it was kind of bullshit when people were like, songwriting is my therapy. You know, I was like, come on, dude. But for this album, because I, I, it was just the time in my life when I was writing this, I was so in the trenches of, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening have been through like bad breakups and it's, you know, I was at a phase in my life where it's all I could see and it was all that was around me. So some of these songs were very like physically difficult for me to finish writing. And that's, that's very different from how it was for me in the past. And, uh, you know, that kind of motivated me to want to do it because I, I was just hoping that, um, at some point in the future, maybe somebody going through, you know, their own fucked up time could find this and at least maybe know someone else went through it, you know? Cause I know that also for me listening to my favorite records, reading what other people wrote when they were going through their breakups, um, it helped me, um, immensely. So, you know, just the thought of contributing, to like art that's out there that other people might have when they're going through that, like that, that motivated me to want to keep powering through, you know, was there also maybe a different release or like weight when you actually put this record out? Did you feel like some sort of relief then as well? Like you were able to like let it go or was it yeah. also maybe even more scary to put this one out just because not just because it had been 15 years since the last armor record but also because you were putting yourself out there in this way yeah i didn't i don't feel like fear about it um 
because I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. Everyone's been through like breakups, so it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel like that intrusive and I'm not being like that crazy personal where I feel like I'm revealing some like weird facts about me or someone else. Right. Um, There's a lot of mystique in the, in the, the way that you present things. Yeah. Still. Yeah. But I do feel like, you know, I read a lot about, um, advice about, uh, helping people who are going through any kind of traumatic moment in their lives. And a lot of them talk about like journaling and I never, I never journaled. Um, but after doing this album, you know, when you are kind of writing something, it is kind of like you're memorializing it, you know? And then when you're feeling better a week later, you can be like, Oh, a week ago, I felt the need to just like write this down. And I'm glad I did, but like it, it almost, it puts like a bookmark there that like a week ago I was in this place and then you reflect on how like you're not there now. Like you don't have the need to like journal anymore. So maybe journaling was helpful for a future version of yourself to look back on. So there is something helpful about me knowing I went through this and kind of like memorialize this fucked up moment in my life. But like, I, I think it, it did help me cope and give me some finality just to that time. You know, it's like I did this thing that's in the world and like I can kind of like leave it there and then move on. But in some way it like materialized these abstract thoughts in my head that like, it does feel good that I, you know, I, I made it real, you know what I mean? And I would encourage other people, you know, I don't know if it's journaling or if it's drawing or, or, or something, uh, just getting, putting something into the real world, I think, is an interesting exercise when you're going through fucked up shit. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's like nice to uh, not feel like it's just trapped in your head. However, you yeah. get it out there, even if you don't share it necessarily yeah, no. with anybody. If you get it on that page, like you're saying, you totally. at least can like reflect that on it during different times, or maybe like pull yourself outside of it because it's yeah. easy to just like drown in those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, like write that letter to that person, but obviously don't send it, but at least writing the letter helps. So for me, it's a little <laughs> weird because I did an album that a bunch of people will hear. So like, <laughs> yeah. I don't encourage everyone to do that. Uh, <laughs> I feel okay with it. Uh, but <laughs> No, I think that's cool though, that you did like there, there's obviously growth in that too, of just yeah. like, you did reach the point of this thing that you maybe thought was like bullshit or hadn't tapped into yeah. quite in this same way and i think yeah i think you can you can hear that in some of the tracks super rad to maintain that relationship with ben it still feels surreal at times to be forming relationships with people who made music that i used to listen to on the radio or on long road trips with my my friends in high school and early 20s and Ben is certainly one of those people that I've uh, had the opportunity to get to know a little bit. So that's been very awesome. And uh, we got to jump into some different things in this conversation that we didn't touch upon in the uh, the initial one. So check out episode 327 for the full chat with Ben Jorgensen. On episode 298 of the podcast, I got to chat with Jimmy Lavelle, who you might know better as The Album Leaf. I've known about The Album Leaf for a long time, so it was nice to get to chat with Jimmy. I feel like we could have talked for hours and just another incredibly sweet dude that was really generous with his time. Yeah, were you? are you pretty appreciative that you kind of uh, 
have grown up in the time that you did as far as maybe not just, you know, the internet and being able to find music or be people be able to find your music, but you, you were, uh, definitely came up in what was still like pretty analog age before all of the software started getting <laughs> wild. So you kind of, I feel like you have it on both ends of, of, you know, how you've produced music and made music over the years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm definitely, I mean, analog years. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was playing in a, in a band called go, go, go Earhart. I was playing drums and I got a phone call on our landline rotary phone and I picked it up and it was Ian McKay on the other line, <laughs> like asking, you know, asking for me by name, which was also like, whoa, what, what the fuck? Like, what, <laughs> we, and then asking specifically for this band I was playing in, if they, if we would be interested in opening for them um, or playing with them in San Diego and in LA. Um, so, you know, things did still happen back then. It wasn't like a cell phone or an email or a text message or, or, or whatever, you know? So it was like actually like, and that's how I booked tours too, was we used to have this device. I forget what it was called, but I think it stored phone numbers. And um, you could hack it with this chip. And by hacking it, it made the sound of um, a coin dropping into a payphone. So you would basically go and make a phone call, you know, wherever. And then it would ask you to insert X amount of dollars. And so you put the device up to the microphone and you push the <laughs> buttons and it like thinks it got the money. And then so like we did, I booked tours with those things, you know? So, oh, I mean, true. I don't know. There's like, I think that's a huge benefit to growing up in the analog age. However, I feel like the same kind of mindset or like mantra like like exists within the digital age and the kids are doing something just as clever you know and i have no clue about it <laughs> even my kids will know <laughs> and they can teach me but yeah but yeah i mean that's kind of a cool thing you know we got to talk about in a safe place Jimmy. right <laughs> <laughs> the fans would be very disappointed if we if we don't talk about this at all but i guess to to get into that how important was it for you to get the opportunity to go out on the road with Sigur Rós? And what did you learn from getting to spend time with them, see them perform every night? And how much did that influence the way that you made In a Safe Place? So when I first toured with Sigur Rós, it was in 2001. Um, I had never heard of them. I was just like kind of asked to do this tour um, with an Icelandic band. And I saw the rooms that they were playing, like the venues, the theaters, and I was just like, "Oh, who is it? Like this, what, what's going on here? Like that's who I that's where I want to be, or I don't know, whatever, you know." And YouTube did exist then, so I found a video, or maybe it wasn't YouTube, maybe, but it was just like the internet existed, and I was able to find this video of them playing at the Icelandic Opera House, um, and like the live recordings of that have come out since. But um, and I was just blown away. I was just like, "Holy shit, um, this is really, really good." So I took the tour. Yeah, we met, we bonded, we we hit it off quickly. It was like they were really, really sweet people. Um, it was really fun. We did that tour, you know, and that was kind of it. Started a new friendship, et cetera. Um, they came back in 2002 again to the States, and I met up with them when they played San Diego, and then I rode up with them to, like, Seattle and flew home and, and just kind of, like, kicked it with them on the bus and, and, um, and traveled with them. They were friends. And then in 2003, they asked me to play they tour with them in Europe um, and offered to, you know, I had to do it solo because of financial reasons. I couldn't fly out a band and transportation just wasn't going to happen. So 
you know, they, they graciously offered me a spot on their bus and I flew out and rented a Rhodes and just like did that tour solo. And those are the beginnings of, um, songs from in a safe place that I was playing. And then throughout that tour, because I was solo, you know, Keratin started to come out and play with me a little bit. And Maria from Amina, who's their, their string section started to come out and play with me. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Ori as well. So I was just kind of like playing as a four piece. Um, I'd start the show by myself and then they'd come out and kind of join and, and ended like that. And then in the state side of that tour, um, I had a band. So I changed the setup a bit and we'll start, you know, just kind of like more songs that were going to be on in a safe place. And then at the end of that tour, they were like, you should come out to Iceland and record. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Incredible. Like I don't see a world in which that would ever happen. <laughs> like me and I, what are you talking about? This just seems like, you know, <laughs> And then sure enough, yeah, I mean, like my manager like made it happen um, and, you know, like just did all the logistical things, which is just basically telling me all you have to do is buy a flight and just go and make their record. <laughs> um, and I was on Tiger Style, so they supported it. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I just went out and I just like, I was in their studio. I wasn't with them, you know. I was just in their studio and recording with their house engineer. Um, his name is Biggie John Bergerson which is very similar to Yonsi. So I think there's a lot of confusion there that they think that, you know, it was Yonsi and I in a, stu in a studio together. It wasn't, it was Biggie um, and I. And yeah, and then we made the record and like, yeah, I mean, Ori would like come and check in and just be like, hey, what's going on? And I'd be like, oh, you want to play drums? And he'd just like hop on and play drums on a couple of things. And then, you know, Keratin was kind of the same. I was staying with him um, while I was recording. So he would come into the studio and it was their studio. So they would just, you know, they just came in and, and I didn't get, and I went out the first time and I didn't get anything done. I didn't get the whole record done. So I went home. So I was doing a process of basically like writing songs, writing half of it, um, in, in San Diego and then refinishing it in an Iceland. It's kind of like what I did for like half of that record. But yeah, I mean, that was the first time that I myself was away in a studio like that in a faraway place, in a, you know, unfamiliar place in a magical place being around, you know, the Reykjavik is an insanely creative town. Um, you know, Icelandic people are insanely like they're, you know, I think it's like 90% artists of some sort, you know, something like that. And it was just in a really creative place and a really kind of inspiring place to be because of that. And I get it. Get it I mean, yeah, it directly informed, you know, the record that I created, but you know, they were my songs that, um, were able to be embellished and kind of like added to from, you know, Carrie, Ori and Maria. And the song Over the Pond was actually a collaboration um, that I had sent Yonsi after the 2001 tour or the 2003 tour. I can't remember. I think it was 2000. Anyways, it was a long time ago. Like it was like something that was like predated anything. It was just like I sent him that that Wurlitzer line and, um, and bass line and he had worked on it and pulled out the tapes. It was just like, oh yeah, I worked on this and then brought it to a certain place. And then we kind of just like um, made it all and put it all in place there and everybody came in and played on it and that's how Over the Pond was finished you know So these next few clips you're going to hear were all recorded at Tree Fort 10. Tree Fort is a music festival that takes place in Boise, Idaho. I've been to the past two and they've just been these incredible experiences and I've been fortunate enough to be able to record a lot of podcasts out there. And 
this next one that you're going to hear comes from my chat with the group neil francis who are a couple of music producers making some of my favorite music so many of their tracks end up in my dj sets regularly so i was really stoked when i found out that they were on the lineup and i got to chat with mark and jordan they were just so much fun and easily one of my top episodes of the year this is from episode 303 with neil francis what are like the the creative dynamics between you all like what what do you think drew you in to making music together and like why this has been success like successful between the two of you and kind of keeping the project going i'll take that one i i the jordan is like such a positive presence in the studio like he i've never been in a creative partnership or environment that's more active and engaged and like just you know even if it sounds like shit he just has a way of like let's just move on let's do that whereas like i'm more of a <laughs> like wallowing in my own you know tragic existential <laughs> death like See, uh, and now now i'm just annoyed right away enough with the self-deprecation let's make something no i mean it's the <laughs> we truth. make fun music it's, <laughs> it's the truth no i like if i go in that the right studio, there dude that right there is it that's exactly that, you just saw an example <laughs> if i go into studio by myself sometimes i'm really inspired and and like you know i'm I just have the, this great idea in my head and i want to get it out and i do it quickly and blah 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 but so many times i walk in and i'm just staring at the computer just like what the hell are you gonna do today like <laughs> just thinking like what the fuck and then i'll like hit play on a piano and i'll play a couple chords i'm like no that's horrible i'm done you know yeah i hate myself i, I suck dude i'm yeah. actually so shit at what i do yeah. why do i do this so i can go home and go make myself <laughs> but it, and so i think i think number one it's important to have a partner for me anyway i mean i don't can't say this for everyone it's important to have a partner that you can bounce things off of and that can validate or you know say no to whatever and then for another thing it's it's important to like maintain a healthy like you know yes and environment to borrow a term from comedy and yeah. you know like not, it's like it should be an improv kind 100%. of like let's just keep never going say no. keep pushing never, yeah, exactly. no. yeah yeah um my turn yeah, yeah absolutely tell me about what you love what you love about mark <laughs> tell me about all of his self-deprecating <laughs> bullshit yeah <laughs> and how you rein that in yeah right get how? good performances yeah, how do you do what mark. you do, do not know how he uh, does no it. truly i'm i i'm inspired by mark as like a vocalist and and like his melodies his vocal tone it's hard to find someone at this point like when i've worked with enough people and a lot of people are kind of do kind of do one thing well and mark can do a bunch of stuff really well um and i'm always inspired by what he brings to the table because it's never it's it always he's his unpredictability he's predictable in his unpredictability it's just like you you never really (laughs) never really know um but it's great um and i really i really really love working with him and i think like one thing that i wanted to have with this project was that i took from djing and and making electronic music was it was very very insular and solo and I would be there by myself, same sort of thing. Like I'd be there by myself making electronic music and comparing myself to the whoever the big person is that I'm trying to chase or whatever. And I always found myself falling short of that or felt as if I was falling short of that. And I promised myself that if I did something again, I would want to do what I'm good at and that's it. And work with people who can do the things that I'm not good at and be, be open and 
just in a very like simple form like i personally love to make beats and create vibes and feels and stuff and then i love to play that for someone like mark who's a singer and like melody comes first generally with him and the way that he I'm always interested to see what he's going to come up with. And I, I think the, the combination of those two things is fundamentally why we work really well together because he's not stepping on my toes. I can't sing. I, I can sit down and it'll, it'll take me eight hours because I am, I am like him in a way. Like if I'm in there by myself, it will take me a long time to land on something that I like, but I'm really persistent. Um, whereas when we work, when it's time to come with melodies and stuff like that, I, I really love just having something there for him to get a vibe from right away, and he does what he's good at, what he's good at, which is melodies, uh, vocal melodies, playing stuff, not overthinking, oh, that's cool, cool, record. I'm not getting stuck in like trying to figure out chords and stuff and thinking I always go to that E minor because I don't know anything else. It's like all I'm doing is using my ear and he's playing like, that's cool, give me one more, cool, that's cool, sweet, yeah, move on to the next thing. about last year's conversations that one continues to uh ride near the top for me i'm so stoked that i got to hang out with mark and jordan at tree fort that was so rad and speaking of riding near the top death lens is a punk band from los angeles california they were another band that i saw for the first time at tree fort they put on my favorite live show of the year and they also put out my favorite record of the year which is called no luck um, basically after Shreveport, I claimed Death Lens to be my new favorite band, and that stood the test of time for the remainder of 2022. This is from uh, episode 305 with Death Lens. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, we're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to show everyone our maturity with this new No Look album coming out. Yeah, man. Um, we're definitely trying to change our sound um, moving forward. Um, before, um, you know, everything was just plain old garage surf skate style yeah. um we're just trying to move away from that and just uh show everyone that we uh, we want to be more intricate mature. melodic mature yeah um we want to we just want to gr- break ground you know yeah do, the, do things a little differently the no luck record definitely seems like it's uh mm. it's a next level thing of what you know anything that's come before and just kind of front to back like that record rips but also like the thing i appreciate about what you're doing is that there's like it seems like you're unafraid to lean into like some slower tempo shit you know and and show off the melodic nature of what you're doing and you know jump in to leaning into something that even feels you know ballady at times and i think that's like really cool especially last night you know when the two of you came down into the crowd and and played like that slower jam and the energy that like was surrounding yeah the circle of people just fucking jumping up and down and yeah and and john like i i loved watching you last night because you sing along to every song it seems like all the time you know whether yeah whether there's a (laughs) mic in front of you or not and i think that that's like as an audience member that's shit i pay attention to because like to me that means that you fucking love this music and like that you're really engaged with it whether you're on the mic or not yeah i'm very passionate about this band man i just I love everyone in it. They're all my brothers, and um, I love the music. It's something that comes from the heart, you know. It comes with a lot of stress, 
in motion. I feel about to cry. I'm about to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Psych. <laughs> but yeah, I think well, no, I just love it. It's yeah, fun. I think that shit translates, and you can you can you can feel that like as an audience member, and it makes you like yeah. want to you know participate in it as an audience member as well. So yeah watching skate videos growing up like they always had the best soundtracks always yeah. like yes. discovered so many bands and new music from skate videos and i think like just growing up skating and you know just hearing all that just really influences like our taste in music because we were just talking about it the other day we we're um on the drive over we we're we looked up like the foundation, foundation soundtrack and so we we're just listening to like all the soundtracks from like the old skate yeah. videos like and i think it's oh my god like i Today I die, I'm always gonna be like, fuck, like how do we get here? Like I was I I I loved skating. Obviously I never made it as a pro. I have really bad knees. If you guys want to hear my knees crack, I put the mic there too. <laughs> yeah, if he bends, you hear like a really bad crack. <laughs> yeah, so I stopped skating. I mean I I like I'll skate every now and then with these guys, but it's like rare for me to like do it because my knees hurt it after. Yes, it comes with age. <laughs> but um it's just cool to see that like we still are in the the skating scene. Even if it's not skating, you know what I mean? Like, being on Tony's Tony Hawk's Ride Channel was one of the biggest blessings for me to be on. I was like, holy shit, like, I'm seeing these dudes who I idolized growing up. Like, now they're playing with my music in the back. Uh, Thrasher, uh, fucking uh, Vans, and uh, King of the Road. Transworld, King of the Road. Yeah. Like, I'm just, like, in awe because I'm like, fuck, dude. Like, this is a shit I used to look up to. And now, like, I'm going to have some other kids saying, like, this is the reason why I started the band because I heard this band on King of the Road. I heard this band on this, on that. So for me, it's like I was that kid. So I think it's so cool to see that it's happening to somebody else now thinking the same thing. Yeah, it's got to you know? be validating in some yeah. way to like see your music on that platform, especially Definitely. growing up, fans of that stuff. And man, skate videos, even to this day, even new ones are like such a killer way to like yeah. find new music. Yeah. And it's, up the tree fort clips this one comes from episode 309 great chat with josh who fronts a band called black hippie out of memphis tennessee the lyrics from this band are heavy and it was dope to hear josh's perspective and experiences within the diy music scene does it feel groundbreaking to you what you're doing with the band and potentially like breaking stigmas about black people fronting indie rock bands or you know uh, definitely things in that genre of music i feel like my entire ethos is to show like kids like me that they can do this like if i didn't have like a kid cuddy or like like that kid cuddy grunge job and speedwood hill if i didn't have that i wouldn't be where i am right now because like there i didn't have anybody telling me that i could do this by looking the way i do and i feel like my entire goal is any any bit of like success that is pushed on me and any light is pushed on me i want to push it to all the other black fronted indie bands that also have to work speaking of having to work twice it's hard 
to like prove to somebody that you're good because of how you look because you're always gonna be put in a box and be like oh well you must like or like people are always like oh man like i had someone asked me he's like oh you don't listen to rap music right i'm like no like the i didn't start listening to any music i was like in high school dude like i like rap is like constantly inspiring to me like i learned so much from that the guitar tones on kind of ways my baby darts was fantasy has shaped how i do guitar tones like of course but i feel like people always want to put you in this box and i i feel like I, I just want to like make it easier for the next band of guys that look like us. So I find that means I have to like work twice as hard, like take as many rejections, take as many like hard licks and stuff like that. I'll do that because you look at bands like, like I'm a huge buff on this. Like, uh, like one of my favorite bands is this black fronted shoegaze band from Detroit called Majesty Crush in the nineties. They, no one ever heard of them, but they were like so good. And I just think about like how hard they had to work just to be unknown. And I'm like, they made that so much easier for like TV on the radio who made it so much easier and like block party made it so much easier for bands like proper and Barty strange who are making it easier for me. You know, like we're all just like making it easier for the next generation. And I just hope that like I can do, I can do so much just to like, cause my, my goal is I just want a bunch of like house shows in the hood. That's all I want. That's all I really is. All <laughs> Hell I <want>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, it is interesting that, skin color gets associated with maybe you yeah. know enjoying a certain kind of music oh, yeah, you yeah. know and just this assumption it's like oh you you like rap music or you don't yeah. like rap music I, or I, you're into this yeah and- I, I love it because i think being in these indie circles i think people forget that i'm from memphis and I, I, it's just so funny because like they'll be talking to me and I just like, like I'm on the podcast and I know my mom's going to listen to it. So I, I haven't, I haven't used my insane frequent use of the N word, which I do. I'm just doing this for my mom. <laughs> and I just remember the first things I heard someone say about our audio tree performance is like, man, Josh said the N word like a lot. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm like, I'm from Memphis, man. I'm like, a, I do indie rock. I love that genre. I love emo. You don't use it. Yeah. But I was like, don't assume <laughs> that I'm just this like, oh boy, golly. I'm like, nah, man, I'm from Memphis, man. Like. I will fight anyone. Like, like I promise you. Like, we're. I don't know it's just interesting. Like, even even at this level, you still are just gonna be put in a box regardless. And I'm like, I, my goal is to be able to break that mold. Like, I watched this weird video my brother sent me, and it was about this interview that that Donald Glover had, where he said he was the child of Kanye. He said, basically, it was like he paved the way for me, basically, and I can go places he can't go. So I hope the next person after me can go the places I can't go. And I think about that in my mind. I'm like. I want to be able to, I also want to do way more than music. I feel like I'm more of an, I guess, artist than a musician. I just want to like do art in different mediums, obviously. But like, I like watched that and I just like thought about what it, I thought about what I was saying earlier about the whole like paving the way. And I just think that's so cool that like everybody thinks like that, even like the bigger people that aren't in my genre. And they're always shattering boxes and showing that they can, like you look at like Kanye broke into the fashion world and show people they could do the fashion thing. Childish Gambino not only like comedy writing, then broke into music and then did his own show and stuff like that and then acted. That's, that's like, breaking out of even bigger molds i'm like what can i do to like break out of even more molds so like a kid that maybe turns 16 in 10 years can like i want to be an artist and can look at like me and all these other like black artists that are making it be like i can literally do anything because i didn't grow up thinking i could do anything a lot of people that like me don't like people of color don't and especially in like anything that's not like stereotypical so like i can do a bunch of cool stuff i can show all these other kids that they can do literally anything and that's just my kind of goal and that's definitely ever present in my mind with everything i do yeah is that also you know is that why you think the representation is is so key oh definitely i i i I think it's like crucial because i just i think it's just so cool that like i'm seeing all these like black kids that are never been a diy show coming to our shows on our last tour 
and I had this one person that came to our DC show, which is also the first show I've ever played where like I just saw so many dreads just like headbanging in the crowd. And someone said this, this was the first time they ever went to a show, a show like like an indie rock show, and they got to see someone like them and how important that is. And people are always messaging me and talking to me about it. And it makes makes me so happy that like they get to see themselves in the music that they like. And I think it's really important. And that's like something I don't think a lot of people I think some people take for granted and some people don't. And I just think that's really cool that like we get to do that. Yeah. I think it's uh I think people underestimate like what that can do for the, the mm-hmm. psyche when it's not their own experience. Exactly. You know? and it's, like, it's not my experience, but I feel like I've gotten to mm-hmm. talk with enough people where yeah. it, it, they voice how important it is. Episode 299 with Girl House. I don't, I'm not going to disclose his neighborhood. Um, <laughs> near that area of New York, <laughs> um, he lives there and he does these like kind of live sessions and he invited me to come and play and yeah he just has this thing where he just is the sweetest person ever and he really supports new artists and just like artists from that especially male artists from that era can kind of be really creepy and sketchy and I really look out for that like I'm very very cautious with that and like he I was ready to have my guard up completely and I think he knows that you know yeah. about people and about especially about women coming into you know like like the music scene or whatever but he just just has just the most authentic energy that like you've ever met and he um was just really lovely and really supportive i was really nervous to like play my music in front of him and like he was just kind of like hold like metaphorically holding my hand and just like you can start over like it's fine you know and i was just like okay adam duritz <laughs> so that's very cool that that yeah. he was so like supportive and just like welcoming and just warm that it's uh adam is definitely uh a bucket list guest for me like he's he's definitely on that on that list for me and one of my, oh my favorite gosh. lyricists of all time so it's really nice when you get to hear about someone's interaction with someone that you appreciate quite a bit and that it's this positive thing and not a nightmare. Usually it's the latter, you know, like it's like, um, Oh, okay. I really wish I didn't meet that person, (laughs) (laughs) but not with Adam. Adam was awesome. And I, we did the cover and I sent it to him and he was just like, Oh my God, this is great. You know, like, and so I was like, like, I don't know. He was just is amazing. And I already was a huge fan of him and then I met him and I was like an even bigger fan. So his lyrics are really, really awesome. And I say this all the time. Like I told him this, I was like, I really wish that I wrote this song. Like it's just beautiful. And just the way, I don't know. I just didn't really pay attention to the lyrics, I guess when I was a kid, you know, but like, not like I was a kid, I was probably a teenager. I don't want to make him feel like, like old or anything. He's not, (laughs) Um, but like, you know, time passed. And I just didn't think about the lyrics or I didn't maybe connect with the lyrics as much before. And then just going through it and coming out of these last two years, like with things just being so hard and so complicated and really our whole lives just completely changing. I can't speak for you or anybody else, but I just feel like my life is completely different and the way I view the world is completely different. And that song to me was just the perfect song for that like just how long this has felt and how never ending this has felt and how introspective I've gotten and just about life and death and 
people that we've lost and regrets and things that you know we can't change i just think it's a perfect song it's awesome so i had to cover it yeah you brought some very cool energy to it and thank you it was yeah i just think it's such a cool take on that tune especially like the high energy and the the big guitars you know just had to do big guitars from girl house great songwriter definitely check out the girl house tunes i know you just heard a clip of the girl house counting crows cover but um lauren just writing some some killer jams so definitely give that a listen if you dug that long december cover i'm certainly a sucker for songwriters and the the bummer jams as most of you have probably noticed by now if you're a regular listener tap into my monthly playlist that i drop on the first of each month january one there now check it out links in the episode notes but ken yates out of ontario canada maybe put out my favorite singer songwriter record of the year i've listened to these tunes countless times this record was in constant rotation for me this year it's called cerulean and this is from episode 313 with ken yates to get me out of going you always like to tell me that anything we're doing should be done the right way well if i yeah, and as far as Liz's role in the collaboration with that one, is that one where she's actually uh, contributing to lyrics or you're bouncing lyric ideas off of her as well? Uh, no, that song was pretty much fully formed and we had most of it recorded. And then uh, I, knew I, wanted, I knew I wanted Liz to sing on that song. I knew I wanted a female vocal and I knew, I knew her vocal would sound great on that. She sung on a couple of songs from my past few records and... Um, and yeah, so I just knew kind of from the get-go that that she would be perfect for that song. And so yeah, I just just sent it to her, and she uh, she did it from home, which was the cool part about recording this during a pandemic was everybody kind of learned how to record themselves. Yeah. And so they could just send you ideas from home, and she sent me a couple ideas, and she sent me this really cool uh, doubled vocal part that we used bits and pieces of. And um, so yeah, so that was cool that she was willing to to do that just by sending it in remotely. Was it strange for you to collaborate in that way, you know, over Zoom and having those those types of sessions or did it uh, seem to like make sense to you pretty quickly or you still felt like you could uh, feel what was good about maybe these dry recordings or just not being able to be in the same room with the people making the record? I personally thought it was really cool. I, I kind of loved it. Um, Two of the people who sang on the record, I had never even met when they sang on it. So I had never met Katie Pruitt and I had never met Stephanie Lambring. And um, we had just been kind of messaging back and forth uh, about, you know, we had a mutual appreciation for for each other's songs. And um, I just kind of sent it to them asking if they might be interested in just singing uh, whatever comes to mind. Like I didn't really have a part in mind. And I think that was the beauty of it was they were able to just work on it from home and come up with parts that were unique to them instead of, you know, I feel like if I brought them in 
to the studio for a session, we might have we might have come up with something just a bit more kind of basic or or a bit more watered down just to get it done. Whereas I think them being able to be in their in their creative space and think about it a little bit and come up with their own own way to sing it instead of just like the normal you know third of a harmony above the above the lead vocal um that was really cool like katie sent me this her part and it was just totally something i never would have come up with and um i was blown away by what what she did and um and she sent me all these different ideas too that we were able to to just pick apart and use bits and pieces of. So I, I found that really cool to be able to collaborate with basically people you've never even met and they can just send you these, these cool ideas from home. Another round. Episode 315 with Bay Ledges. Did you have to like remove yourself a little bit from the creative process to like dig into the Bay Ledges stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think for me moving to LA, I didn't really know I was moving to LA, but yeah, I think it's like I got to LA and I sort of, I fulfilled my commitments on the Kickstarter and, you know, wanted to do that. And then I think once I did that, I was like, cool. I think I need to step way back. Like I, I'm not really feeling like this project fully represents me and yeah, it's just, oh man, it's so funny, man. I even look at the, the cover of that, that album now and I'm like, oh my God, it makes me cringe, <laughs> man. <laughs> so a friend of mine back in Maine has it in his house and he's like, I feel like he pulls it out from time to time. I'm just like, dude, please put that away. Dude, I yeah, I have some of those where yeah, I'm just yeah. like, oh, this exists? Like these photos of me even exist? Like, it's like, oh, cool. All right. That was the time. <laughs> totally, dude. And at the time, I remember just being like, you know, I remember so many people like, oh, yeah, you got to put your face on the cover of your album, you know? And again, with the, you know, it's like doing all the things that, you know, you feel like, okay, cool. This is what I guess I'm supposed to do to be successful. And so, yeah. Makes sense why you would want like the hard reset then of like, <laughs> yeah. all right, new, new name, <laughs> new name yeah. for the project, you know, completely different vibe too. So yeah, I understand why you wouldn't like, even if you maybe even liked that solo material, I understand why you wouldn't necessarily like want that to be the representation for people checking out Bay ledges. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. It felt like a totally different thing. And, and, and I really wanted it to be like, I, I really didn't want any sort of like residue of my former, um, attempts at, at songwriting to like, to permeate the thing. So yeah, it was just, it was, it was like a really nice, like sort of clean slate and did the, you know, sound, SoundCloud, like really, <laughs> really leaned in hard on SoundCloud. Yeah. So like before starting the Bay Ledges project, what was your knowledge recording wise at that point and like instrumentation wise where you still just like guitar was like your main yeah instrument for writing and 
Yeah, it was it was pretty limited. Like I had an eight track digital recorder and I would use that a lot like for doing demos and stuff. And then when I moved from New York, a friend of mine there, this guy, Matt Lima, um, gave me he gave me a laptop that he had like refurbed from his like job. And um, and on it, he he put Ableton on it and he was just like. He's a really proficient piano player, um, and we sort of had talked about, cool, it'd be rad to like send stuff back and forth, and I thought that idea was amazing, even though I had no idea how to use Ableton or anything, and so he gave that to me, and we sent like a couple things back, and then at, at some point, I just like opened it and just started to try to like write shit on it just myself. I had this like little USB mic, um, which was amazing. I, I think having the USB mic and having just very little equipment was like, was very key for me being able to like do all that. Cause I think if, if there had been too much equipment, I just would have been like, fuck this. I can't do this. For sure. you know? <laughs> Creative parameters are often helpful to you then. Yeah. Yeah. And so that really helped. And yeah. And it was really that, that I, I just, I got obsessed, you know, did YouTube videos and, and it was just, I, I like loved it. You know, I, I found an Ableton certified trainer in LA and I like went to his home and did like a day with him and it just became this thing I was like super committed to, had no idea really why or what it would lead to, but, um, yeah. 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 Did you feel like it was just this whole new launch pad for all of your music ideas too? Because totally. things could sound so much different than what they would sound like with some initial guitar ID idea. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. It, it was sort of like, it also like sort of broke the door open of like what even I imagined a song to be, you know, like that songs sort of have to have this specific structure and um, and that my voice, you know, I think for a long time being a singer songwriter, you're very sort of, I mean, for me at least, I was very tied to this feeling of like, you know, my voice is the major component of this whole thing. And my voice really needs to be present and out there and forward, even though I didn't really love my voice. And I think working in Ableton, it just gave me this sense of like, oh, cool. My voice can just be like one component of this bigger ensemble as opposed to needing to really like lead the whole thing. Um, I think just mentally having that um, idea in my head helped me sort of break away from feeling tethered to any sort of need. Episode 292 with Alex Meltzer. Those creative parameters seem to be uh, seem to be important to a lot of folks, and I would imagine that also just kind of attributes to your excitement for projects, but and also just for you know for each project kind of having its own feel and, and sound to it. If you're only using this specific gear and whatnot totally man that's how i like records is things that are like and that's kind of like the idea behind the name big blocks too is like in a you know when you're making beats it's like you have little blocks like on your grid that you like put shit into to like make your loops but like a bigger block is like the song within 
the whole album that's like one of seven blocks of the ep and then the album itself is like another block so i don't know i just i love thinking in like like big arcs of as far as like records go it's like as far as like dynamic energy and as far as like textural and like cohesion and stuff i just feel like my favorite records all have like they just like immediately take you to a vibe Mm -hmm. and like a place and like and you can push it and go different directions but generally it's just like it always just like like a really good record always like reminds me of like a time and place in my life you know like when i listen to that record you know what i mean fuck yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i think i can mostly identify all of my favorite albums and and tell you uh where i fell in love with it or i might even be able to tell you which record store i bought the vinyl at things like that and and having those stories i feel like almost like most of the records in my collection i associate with somebody exactly dude or with like like some sort of emotion that you were like feeling at the time that you like got this record And like some, and so, and and I think this is even more evident when you like have a record like that, you know you like it, but then like a year later you come back to it and it hits you in a fucking different way, because mm. like that just like goes to show you like how your mood, as like a person, and like how different pieces of art can like affect like different records can affect you at certain points in your life. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like there's I I can like pinpoint a couple records. Yeah, this one that it's like one of my favorite records, but it's a uh, Swarvy uh, do rent with this dude Logi on raps, and it's just like it just like specifically reminds me of every day, like on the summer, on the f- fucking fourteen Hawthorne bus. Like it just like takes me there like instantly, and and I listened to the record like a year before that, and it didn't hit me the same way. I wasn't like. But like listening to it when it's all like hot and shitty and but that record has like this super cohesion where it's like the raps and like the whole thing just has this like immense vibe so i i don't know when i make a record and like collab with somebody and like we're making a project that's like i i love thinking like big arc large form you yeah. know when i when i dig in to your music you know like this big blocks record it it does feel like transcendent and it does feel like you create a world like pretty quickly that kind of sucks you in and that's kind of what i've grown to uh maybe expect in some ways from from the projects that you're working on whether it's solo or or collaborative and that's uh especially with the instrumental music man it's it's uh there's always so much room for that that growth or like hearing different things like you're saying going back to a record maybe a year or two later or even when i listen to this big blocks album tomorrow i'm gonna hear something i probably didn't hear this morning to like trust your gut though at the end of the day and if you're telling yourself like okay i'm ready to go on to like mastering these joints because that's how i do it i'll like make when i do npc joints it's like i make like an eight bar loop and if that eight bar loop ain't popping then it's not gonna make the cut and then i'll make the next one so i just make like a bunch of eight bar loops or 16 or maybe i'll get the whole form down but nothing's like arranged really and then when i'm done making i'm gonna be like okay now i'm gonna go back to the first one 
and start recording them in and doing arrangements and stuff. So that's kind of how I like doing it. Cause I also like giving myself, like, if you're going to make beats really fast, like give yourself a day to like come back to them and be like, okay, that one actually mm. was tight. It just like my mix, like I, I, you know, your mix just isn't right. And then you can make a really like informed decision on your mixes and stuff. Like if you just like make it quick, come back the next day and be like, all right, either it works or it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's dude, even mixing the podcast after if I'm editing a podcast all day, there's just like a certain point where I have to step away and i know it's it sounds crazy because i'm usually just fucking around with voices occasionally creeping some music in but yeah sometimes i'll come back to something you know the next day and just what were you thinking dude this is way too loud or way too quiet or you know it's just uh you get that tunnel vision when you're when you're in it too far sometimes 100 percent, dude i mean that's like yeah i mean for everybody listening, do your make beats quiet. <laughs> it makes it way easier to make beats that sound fat if you do them quiet. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, dude, like the tunnel vision and everything, like once your head is like in a certain place, very rarely am I like very comfortable with a decision, like mixing decision, like the first time I make it. I, I like need to forget it for the next day and, and then come back to it the next day and be like okay i don't remember if or like i maybe my kick was too loud but i'm not totally sure and then you come back the next day it's like holy shit my kick was way too loud <laughs> <laughs> episode 294 with husbands yeah i also just find that the records that when i'm listening to them there's just like absolutely no need to have the phone nearby to like skip any songs i just want to like <laughs> listen to the whole thing through and then when it's over i just want to either listen to that record again or put on another another husband's album thank you man that's nice thanks dude <laughs> being that there there's so much production on the the tunes is it uh you guys feel like you're more in the role of producer rather than uh i don't know jamming songs out together for for the latest record I, i'd say that's probably certainly true uh, well i mean you'd probably agree with that where this latest one is more producing things together kind of the back and forth over the internet kind of deal versus jamming out mm -hmm. in person which that's just kind of the circumstantial part of how those were created so yeah i guess the answer to that question would be yes yeah i think so um i don't know i, I don't know like if you could put a percentage on it but I think we're both pretty much equally inspired by, you know, songwriting and production. Um, I think we probably trade more notes back and forth about listen to this, you know, drum sound mm. or listen to this, uh, you know, synth texture than probably like talking about song structure or m melodies. I mean, I, I don't know. That's probably what we are often talking about and maybe it's just because we're always trying to kind of calibrate our sort of like here's the sort of tones and textures that we kind of want to use to um to build out an album you know like here here's sort of the parameters of what we kind of want to uh sound like at any given time and i think to kind of speak to that a little bit i mean 
I find the production side a lot more challenging than than the songwriting part of things. And I think Will is like a great, a lot of like what the sounds ends up being is largely because of stuff, kind of directions that Will is kind of goading um, these production things into. And it's always in a more interesting direction than comes naturally to, to myself. So that's kind of another thing is um, our natural inclinations, like where I, at least speaking for myself, I kind of find the songwriting easier and the production much harder. And I, so I guess I'm thinking about it a lot more. Yeah. Well, you're like, you're super prolific and, and you're able to like make just, you know, amazing ideas that I could never come up with. And then I think maybe, I don't know. I feel like maybe something that I can do is just say like, here's uh, a couple of different ideas that we can kind of take it from, from the, from the starting point that you, you know, you might get the song to 90% and we've just worked together to get it to, to 10, to the, the last, you know, to get it to the final point. Episode 331 with Daniel G. Harmon. For me, when I'm when I start working on a record, I'm very much working on the record, you know. So I, once I started the process of it, uh, I was in it, and I was like, I'm not a person that, and that's why the original batch of recordings was so kind of naggy at me of like, what am I going to do with these things that I have? Mm. They're pretty cool. I'm I'm a person that like once I start. Once I get a sniff of something, I have to get 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 it done. So it was I was stoked, had a couple songs kind of in the bag, and that really inspired me to kind of continue and, and see what else I had in there. And it was exciting. Like I was like, oh, shit, there's another one that I haven't looked at in a minute. Let, let's go back to that one or one that I looked at a few hours ago, but seems like days, you know, because um, I was just in this like medicated, weird headspace. And I think. That might come yeah. through a little bit too. <laughs> well, I love knowing that like so much of these initial ideas came from sitting on a plane. Cause I feel like the opening track when she opens the door and I'm reborn, like very much has this like taking off vibe to it or like a great launching point for like what is to come in the, the rest of the project for sure. Oh, well thank you so much, man. Yeah. The title of that one too is like, um, Literally, day five, my wife finally opened the door of our bedroom and like fresh air came in and it it was like life giving to me, you know, (laughs) Um, so that was all very real. But thank you, man. Like I spend a lot of time thinking about sequencing of songs and oftentimes when I'm recording a record, I start getting mixes back. I'll create several different playlists with just like different sequences and uh, just cycle through them over and over and over again. And this is the one that I stuck with. And, and I think it works. Uh, I think the album flows really well. Um, yeah, agreed. It's, uh, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like a front to back experience, which is always uh, a cool thing, especially when you can do it in a condensed amount of time, you know? Like if you got 20 minutes, you can, you can kind of crush this thing. Yeah. I, I always wanted it to be a, 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 an experience versus like a collection of songs, you know, like on shuffle. <laughs> like yeah. I'm not a shuffler. And so that's why, <laughs> you know, sequencing is really 
super important. Like I want to, you know, this is how I'd want to listen to it as a, as not me, you know. Episode 314 with Allie Wilding. As far as that summer, like, what do you, and I know that it's always an evolving thing of, you know, you never really have anything art-wise, like, really figured out, but do you recall, like, what it was that you kind of did figure out that summer, or do you think it was, like, a lot of it was just understanding if you put a lot of work into this thing and you were disciplined about your playing that that would equate to getting better Mm. honestly I found some parallels between like what I have been doing since I've been sort of focusing on my like solo work or my own musical vision or whatever whatever we want to call it and like the feeling that I had like that summer. And obviously once I started to like play more and more, which is just sort of this, it is, it's this pure, just freedom and release and love of playing and creating music. And that like high almost that you get from just making music just because you love to make music and there's no other BS. There's nothing. It's just, this like beautiful thing that you, that you have. And sometimes, you know, then it goes out into the world, whether you're performing or whether you release it or whatever. And then suddenly you have all this sense of like, you can have a sense of like judgment or comparison or whatever that I feel like I battle that, you know, a lot. And I don't know, that's, you know, a whole other topic, I guess, (laughs) but, uh, I do think that the lessons that I learned there was just mostly that like, I have this special, uh, I don't know, relationship or whatever you want to call it with this creative musical experience. And, uh, I need to honor that, you know, and it's really like, I love making, just making music. And, uh, sometimes just like, I guess what I'm trying to say is the most beautiful, uh, experiences can really be when I'm just like alone in a room creating stuff for myself. You know, I get super excited, like get goosebumps or my heart will like race. I'll just be like, this is, this is, this is just pure joy and love and whatever emotion, whatever emotion it is that I'm channeling, you know, and then you have to deal with all the other like inputs that come in from judgment or what other people say or comparisons. Do you think that's like what came out of love chord? Like a lot of just you playing in solitude and making this record kind of by yourself and, and having those moments of, you know, getting yourself excited and inspiring yourself to, create all these different layers yeah i mean i for me this was this was like a project that really makes me feel like uh i'm on like this journey of 
sort of self-discovery and self-realization. And I'm learning these like lessons along the way. And, uh, absolutely. Like it also, I feel like has given me some of more of that confidence in my own vision. It's not like obviously like totally worked out or anything like that. Right. But it has helped me to like follow through and finish things too, because a lot of stuff that I've worked on in the past, I feel like I just hadn't maybe fully finished, uh, or, it it had been a long time since I had finished things. And so I got, I got some discipline, uh, in creating this project and saying like, I'm going to just, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to polish it. I'm going to make it, you know, as good as I can make it without totally losing my, uh, momentum, I guess. Cause I think a lot of people just, it's the finishing that's that's yeah. really really hard and you get it so in your head about it you know yeah. and it just doesn't it doesn't people don't don't finish even though they may have like so many great ideas episode 324 with vanport i think for me i real i know that i have all the support that i need to to do what I was manifesting as a child that it's not too late I'm not too old and that my expectations aren't based on the benefits of things but more so the process so it's like instead of being like I want a lot of money or I want this or that it's more so like I want the opportunity to meet a bunch of different people and to create genuine relationships. I want the ability to travel. I want the ability to have a sense of security in general. Cause like you say money, this and that, but like security could be resources. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I've had those things and I'm thankful. I'm thankful of a lot of establishments in Portland that, you know, will hook your boy up when I was like broke, you know, like, being a DJ and an artist, you know, you didn't always, and for me, it was like, you know, there was a lot of DJs that had like full time jobs and they DJed. You know, I had made the decision to take the deeper plunge, you know, and like, yeah, I worked at Kopi, you know, Coffee House and other places, but that was more so like part time for me to be tapped into the community. It was my way to see a bunch of people in the neighborhood, um, see my friends and things like that. It wasn't like I was making hella money. Um, and like, I've been working with, uh, with kids with autism since I was like 18. Like Brian is 19, Ethan's 19 too. I was working with Brian since he was like 15 or five years old. And so like, I've had that, but even then with that, I was like starting to do that less and less hours. So I was putting more faith into the music. So with in order to do that, I had support from family, but also like different establishments, you know? Oh, you want to eat here? Cool, I got you. You want to do this and that? Like, oh, I know you get paid next week. Or here, put this on a tab and you can take care of it later. And so I would, you know, I feel like what I've been manifesting, I've always had. And the only only thing holding me back was myself, my own doubt, um, worrying about perception of others. At this point, it's like I know what my intentions are. I know what my goals are. And... I don't have to take in other people's projection that's rooted in their own insecurity, you know, because I did the same shit. 
I project a lot too. So, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we all, we do. all do that shit. So once you realize it, it's like instead of chastising somebody for projecting onto you, just realize like sometimes people projecting is a way of relating. You got to discern between the two. You know, yeah, just humble yourself. Episode 319 with Yuck God. From what you have shared, like even social media wise you know it's it's been expressed just like what a huge influence this dude was on you know the music that you make and whatnot and even talking about you know the music you listened to growing up and whatnot so i'm just kind of you know what what did that do for like help wise (laughs) making this record amidst all the the trauma of that i feel like it was nice to have something pretty like at the end of like something so fucking awful you know something so ugly it was like it was nice to be like yo like this is also how i can remember my dad too like because like the last like couple weeks were not like how i like hope to remember him you know what i mean like there's a lot of like not very pleasant like episodes and shit like just people's brain changed when they got brain cancer and like steroids and all this shit you know what i mean and like it's it's like it's a slow decline and it's hard you know and it's hard to watch like and I can't imagine what it's like to go through, you know what I mean? But, like, it was nice to, A, I was writing the record, like, while I was, like, in the house with them, you know? Like, we were just spending time together and, like, we were sending beats back and forth still and shit. And I was just, like, I wrote a lot of that, the, those bars and stuff just, like, there. And, like, um, it's very, like, definitely captured, like, what I was feeling and shit. And, yeah, like I said, like, it's not... Um, it's not a sad record. It's not a happy record. It's just like a melancholic record, you know? It's like nostalgic. It's it's both, you know? It's like a... It's... it's it's. It, but like I said, I, I'm glad, like, there's something with his name on it that's pretty, like, right now, you know? Yeah, it's, a, it's like a beautiful collection of tunes, man. It's like one of my favorite projects that you've, uh, you've been involved that, yeah. in, for sure. I think, again, like, everything that you seem to put out just seems to show off like a different dynamic to what you do. So I appreciate it a lot. And I would imagine that that one just like has uh, yeah, just a different attachment to it that you, maybe you don't have like throughout other projects and for sure. That one's uh, like for a lot of reasons for the collaboration aspect and like who I was collaborating with and yeah, the obviously my dad aspect and um just like also finally blending a lot of different styles and shit together that like you know like it's the first time it had the rap and the singing and the bass and all that shit you know so it's an important record for me for sure Shit, 
love that Evergreen HD project from Yuck God. That dude just puts out so much music. His output is incredibly impressive across all genres. Definitely check out the music that Yuck is playing. And all of the people that I've met that run in that circle of Portland musicians that are kind of connected to Yuck, including the next featured artist, Something Something Brax, um, just a pleasure to get to know that circle of people this year. And and I hope to just keep bringing on more and more people onto the podcast that, that run in that circle, but something, something Brax. So great to get to know this dude this year. This was one of my favorite chats of the year with a local Portland artist. This is from episode 325 with something something brax and i got the plug found humility in the mud and i kept it as a token if he said the words would dance we shocked to see pride busted open huh whistle all my secrets plastic bag of cheap tricks stop for a reason i lean i lean i lean i lean in i wrote this verse while wandering walked until my feet bled or was i eating ramen at a communal table don't know either way the page was staying red sees a lane and take the day to make arrangements phone your people settle your payments roll with the wind download some pavement do me a solid right wrong for the workers and not for the bosses so i did so i did the 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 bar show and a couple other shows when i was like 18 19 and then like when i was like 22 i was working with a couple like electronic producers my homie will and my homie nara um and we did a couple shows in fact like one of the first shows i ever did was at a sold out mcdonald theater it's like i don't i did one song but there's like 800 people there Amazing. like it's really cool but it was like <laughs> that was like the time i was nervous and i felt like yeah. i was gonna throw up the whole time <laughs> i was out there you just go out there and you just feel it and i've never played for that many people again in my entire and i probably never will. um and then yeah and then like it was like yeah i started to play with jazz cats and it's like oh this is really tight to be like oh i'm playing with some of the illest like musicians yeah around like and like back then i used to think in in eugene and it's like okay now that i've moved and been places like no they're just like ill you know they're just like super ill and they fuck with me and that really like helped me being like okay if these dudes think i'm nice and like they're they're as good as they are then we must have something going on here so yeah it was really tight being able to you know do some like do some original songs do some cover songs with our own lyrics do some like freestyle jams and 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 stuff like that and so that's kind of how i kind of um got really comfortable performing and then from there i just started getting booked a lot and then i just started rapping like you know i was me and spinach were talking about a couple months ago it's like there was a time like from like 2016 to like you know 2017 2018 where we were playing like on average you know two or three gigs a week um which was a lot for us um, and like, I have not gotten anything close to that since then. Um, but yeah, I got really comfortable kind of just being like, oh, I said yes to every show, yeah. played in every situation. I've played for three people. I've played for 50 people. I've played for like 150 people. I've played on incredible sounding things. I've played out of one monitor <laughs> with no bass and it was cracking in a backyard. So just kind of cut my teeth just by saying yes to everything. And that's how I started feeling really comfortable performing live. Absolutely, man. And like, I think that. Yeah, that early validation is always important. And I'm sure like I'm sure that just made you want to even be better as a like whatever you offer musically when you're playing with a band that's like that killing or that like all these musicians that you really respect, that must have like kind of lit a fire just to like up your game. 
Yeah, you ever seen the jazz face where it's like someone's killing and everyone just like, I wanted people to do that to me. Like I wanted to be chopping and people like, oh, Rex is killing it right now. Um, And so that, yeah, it was super motive. Like it was super motivational for that. And then also I felt like sort of comfortable, you know, taking risks, doing things because it's like, well, if I fuck this up, my homie Ken is going to drum solo and everyone's (laughs) going to forget what I just did. So it's all good. (laughs) Did that, uh, do you think that that was like also just important to you? again just like the foundation for performing and not like i don't know i feel like as a as a rapper maybe specifically or like any sort of vocalist like the opportunity to like learn where to like leave that space and whatnot when you're performing with Mm -hmm. a band do you feel like Mm -hmm. that like translated into like what you would create later or most certainly most certainly because um especially because we would like we were like we we're like hosting like an open mic night through all like these these like jam nights they aren't they're not just like me and my five friends play for an hour it's like you rotating musicians and sometimes there's people up there who are there every week who are ill and sometimes like oh this is this person's first time maybe even playing live at all we would encourage people to like vocalists to come up so it's like sometimes when you got like seven rappers on stage you've seen it you got yeah. seven rappers on stage and sometimes it's hard to like be like okay we've been rapping for like a like like 188 straight bars like someone <laughs> needs to stop this so like being able to kind of feel like hey we need to actually take a break here we need to pause and then being able to interject and like kind of like give those sort of verbal or like non-verbal cues really to the rest of the band like, all right let's go into the chorus like yeah. and, and shit like that so like learning that like helped me sort of think about how i wanted to structure my own music and again like that's i don't I'm not like in in terms of like for for what I've done so so far what I've released like I haven't made any of the beats and I haven't really given direction to any of the producers for what I've released so it's like I generally get like the beat as it's going to be on the album and so it's like I can listen to it and be like okay I want to rap here I want some yeah. pauses here do I want a chorus if I do it's gonna go here do I want a bridge mm. can I do something on the outro that would be ill. So that's kind of, I think that's definitely been informative for that. And it's also helped me as I have gone into like, you know, composing more music, making beats and shit like that. Like it's helped me um, because I don't really, I still don't really know anything about music, but I feel like I've like kind of soaked up like a little bit like a sponge of like a little bit of like structure and shit just from like seeing them play as much as I have. Pushing more styles than TNA in the mid I still go to work. My sweatpants, the uniform, play my position and excel like a unicorn yeah think i'm nikola jokic i'm bum my bands episode 330 with eric fury yeah, i appreciate uh you know getting to jump on the mics with you and kind of getting to understand a little bit more like the foundation for it and like where it all comes from because it seems like you've been kind of operating from the same place since even since you were a kid you know and just like also just like appreciate somebody that like really you know loves creating and finds a way to continue to make it a part of their life Mm -hmm. it's hard It, it gets hard sometimes but i don't know it's like like life offers people i feel like in my personal way of looking at it is that like life offers people like a lot of different options you know what I mean? But I also, like, have a hard time believing in coincidence these days, you know, just because it's, like, after a certain point, like, too many things, you know, you can't get lucky this many times. 
you know what I mean, or a certain number of times. So, you know, I'm starting that's starting to fade away. But also it's like, um, as people, we get a diff- different choices, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't know, and I used to do it too. It's like, you know, the society, a lot of like contemporary society here in like the U.S. or whatever, it's like in an attempt to get people to run away from themselves, mm, you know what yeah. I mean, or who they are. But like the way I see things, you can't. You you can't do that. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you can't run away from who you are, and then every time you try, it just starts eating at you from the inside. And the older you get, it starts eating at you and eating at you. You know that's why you see a lot of people with like good jobs whose lives are otherwise going not bad. You know what I mean? But they're like miserable and sad people because there's something that they're not doing. There's somebody that they're supposed to be that they're not that they're running away from. You know, and it's like no matter how hard you try, like to run away from that, like you're always going to end up in the same place. You know, you, where, whatever you're running from is going to be the thing you're running to. It's going to be at the place you run to to hide from it. Like, you can't hide. You know what I mean? So it's like, after a certain point, I was just like, you know what, man? Fuck it. Like, this is who and what I am. You know what I mean? Like, if you told my parents, I was like, yeah, I'm just a fucking, like, you know, pot-smoking musician artist. You know what I mean? <laughs> they would have been like, yeah, we wanted you to be like a doctor or a lawyer or some shit, but that's not, that's not, that's not me. It's not who I am. <laughs> Like I'm sorry, but like I can't. Not me. I've been in them trenches, them basements, them dugouts. I've been in the cut till the blood start to come out. I've been in the lab with a black ski mask, trying to make the shit that put Miss Winehouse in rehab. Episode 332 with Saroon. I mean, I, I would like both things to like rise in my life as much as possible, you know. Yeah. But um, it's I couldn't imagine only doing one. Yeah, I would imagine that just like also, I don't know, probably gives you, uh, it's nice to maybe have some space away from your own mm-hmm. creative project yeah. in some way. Oh, and you I'm learn sure, so like, much. Yeah, bring things that, you know, you do learn from other experiences and bring it into your your own art. Yeah. Yeah, like I was saying earlier about having bandmates play the parts in whatever way they want, like you learn so much from the way somebody else writes a song, the feeling that they want incorporated in their song, the instrumentation of somebody else's songs or the, just the individual, it's so individual music, you know, like it's the way that your body pulls on the bow, you know, it's like, it is, it's such a personal thing. And, you know, voice is kind of the, the, the most personal element of that because it's whatever sounds your body makes is going to be unique to you. But every instrument is that way where it's like you're getting the direct feeling of like how another person's body is like creating sound. Like that's it's deep shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I would imagine even just like the way that they communicate how mm. they want the music played yeah. within the group, like in rehearsals and whatnot, you get to see how other people kind of operate in that space. Totally. Once again, what like what is accessible to you? You know, sometimes it feels like you're overstepping certain boundaries and then you see somebody else be like, uh, ask it in a certain way that works or something. And you're like, Oh, I can, this is how I can communicate an idea that is like effective. It doesn't, you know, people oftentimes in bands will get caught up in like arguing about what part is right or whatever. Like what's the best thing to do in this moment. It's, it's very, I've never been that kind of person. It's really interesting being in that dynamic sometimes and being like, we could just try it and see which one is better <laughs> you know for sure rather than just like talking about like <laughs> which what we should be doing let's just like tr- try out some things and see what we like the most yeah because everybody's gonna know probably yeah, like what the always. truest thing is it's when, once it's way. there yeah at this point maybe you've already like touched on some of these things yeah. throughout the conversation but where you're at with 
lighthouse collider from like where you started this saroon project Mm. where do you like see the most growth within yourself creatively or just like as a person trying to communicate these ideas and your your thoughts yeah i you know like in in many ways i feel like i'm like the same as my five-year-old self (laughs) like I, i don't know exactly how to explain that but like I, like I was saying earlier, like my musical expression, I've never been particularly self-conscious about anything other than like the amount of people that are like receiving it in a positive way. Um, doing it for myself has always felt really natural. And this is just like a natural extension of that where I feel like I'm at right now with my output is that I'm much closer like music putting out music is one of the most frustrating processes for every musician because you make something maybe maybe you maybe it goes like this maybe you make a demo of something then like a year if you're lucky later you like record a final version then a year if you're lucky you put out the record of the thing (laughs) right that's fucking two years after you created the thing like you are not the same despite what i was saying earlier like you're not the same person in that process and i feel like where i'm at with that stuff which isn't the most marketable thing you know i'm not providing much scarcity (laughs) for my music but it's uh i'm much closer to the conception of the art itself um to when it comes out um which for a person like me that is prolific and um, working in this like quick fashion feels really fulfilling because it feels like I can, I don't have this kind of like backlog of stuff that I'm kind of waiting to put out. Um, and my music is much closer. It's it's just so much easier to talk about music and care about it when it's still the same feelings that you're having about it you know it's not i mean it's it's not the same like some of these songs were written years and years ago so it's not exactly that way but it's i'm fairly close to at least when i made the record that i'm releasing this sick of myself and my big ideas i'm sick of my life for nothing sit in the square with my eyes closed Feel it coming. You always imagine me so fit and thin. Episode 335 with Alex Croson. Yeah, so I recorded it with um, Ryan Oxford, uh, who's just a really wonderful person uh, to, to be around and to work on music with. We sort of made it. I mean, it felt like I was, it felt like I was in high school again, like making a record with a buddy in the garage, you know, we made it together. Really. I brought, I brought demos. Yeah. But like Ryan's voice is so in the record. Um, it's like undeniable and it's like, to me, I mean, this is, this is maybe self-effacing, but to me it like makes the record, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm it's like slowly getting to know Ryan. Over yeah. He's like past few months and i mean he's definitely making like some of my favorite records that are coming out of the city yeah for sure but i remember at like after you had sent me the record i had seen him and i was like dude 
that Alex Croson record is fucking awesome. And he was just like, dude, that was so much fun <laughs> to make just because he said that you kind of like came in, you know, like you said with these demos, but really had like a very open mind to like what the songs could become. Yeah. I really, you know, Ryan, I don't want to put him up on a pedestal or anything, but Ryan is like, he's a brilliant musician and like the way he thinks, the way he thinks about songs in their construction is very interesting to me. It was like fun just to like watch him do his thing as I did my thing, yeah. you know? And it worked really well. Like I, I, it was just so, I mean, the time flew, but yeah, it, it, it was like, I had these, I had these very bare bones demos and then I would play them for him on acoustic guitar and he would be like, yeah, I hear like a, and he would just like grab instruments and, and just start playing a part. And we're like, yeah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> and then, so the first day was sort of, um, we did goddess of dawn on the first day. We basically did a song a day. It was a pretty good clip. It was a lot of fun. First day was goddess of dawn. And I was like, yeah, it's, it sounds like a recording of this song, you know? And then the second day was when things we, I think we did Tabitha on the second day, which was like nothing I'd ever made before or thought I could make but always sort of wanted to make like this sort of groovy yeah I mean you can like you can kind of dance around to that song mm-hmm. you know you can't really dance around to any of the songs on my first <laughs> record <laughs> yeah it's such a different vibe from yeah. the record you know and yeah yeah it, it's 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 vastly different and it but it felt to me like I had found something like oh this is this is still me and this is what i want my music to sound like yeah this is the kind of music i want to play and i want to like dance around on stage and like see people bopping their heads and having a good time i was like but i'm still singing about depression i'm still singing about grief yeah um i feel like i found i found myself again like i woke up and i was like whoa i can make this music this is mine and later listening to it i was like man this sounds so good and it's so cool that i made this and now now i'm like i'm i'm fanboying about my own music which is not extremely charismatic or cool but i don't think it's uncool i also think it's maybe cool just because it seems like you've had some battles within yourself about it so it's yeah i think it's rad that you're so stoked about it coming off of like what you previously released you know yeah i think that's like that's growth yeah (laughs) yeah it it really felt it really felt like like a growth moment Fun chat with Alex Croson. That Sorry I Missed You record that he put out this year is really great. And Ryan Oxford, who he referred to, who recorded that record, is making some of my favorite albums that are coming out of Portland right now, including the Saroon record as well. And he just finished up this record that my buddy Andrew is working on. Ryan's just a gem out here in Portland and a super sweet dude, hoping to get him on sometime this year on the cast and talk to him about all the all the records he's been cooking up with other people and he's also a songwriter 
himself and just a, a killer multi-instrumentalist and producer. So be on the lookout for more from Ryan Oxford. And we've reached the end. I'm going to intro the, the final clip here, and then we're going to see what 2023 has in store appreciate everyone that hung till the end hit me with your emails your dms of all the things people you want to hear on the show or just let me know what you're listening to out there of things that should be in my dj sets or be on these monthly playlists that i've been putting out all the links will be in the episode notes you can catch me every thursday at 12 30 p.m on kink 101.9 here in portland oregon plugging a local portland artist getting to play one of their tracks and talk about upcoming live shows so check that out every thursday 12 30 p.m and uh to close things out this is me chatting with ross from local portland band Caragold. he also plays in a band called pulsa and Vanny Hands. I've known Ross for a bit now, but it wasn't until a couple months ago that we had this opportunity to chat on the mics and get to know each other a bit. So appreciate everybody listening. This is from episode 336. Ross from Caragold. Stay up, stay tuned. Happy New Year. I'm always waiting for your SMS. I'm always waiting for you to message me. The older I get, the more I realize that it's like it's my life to live, and it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks because if I just did what people wanted me to do, I would be miserable. So, like, just I don't have like I'm really lucky that I went to school and had got a degree and was able to do that and use it to to make money, but I also don't have to just do that. I can do both and do it full time or part time and work on, you know, I can like a perform at a high level at, at doing both of those things. So I don't necessarily need to worry about like, Oh, my social status yeah. or, or how much money I've made or the things I have. For um, sure, man. The rat race is real. You know, yes. the mentality of it is at least so. No, I, well, I, I, yeah, totally. The, uh, <laughs> this this imagined rat race that we all have uh just agreed upon as a society <laughs> that like this is this is what life is supposed to be we all need to be working our asses off and making as much money as possible and having these nice houses and these nice things it's a collective uh imagined theory that um i just don't want to participate in <laughs> but i kind of have to a little bit just to survive you know right. and pay the bills so yeah. it's, it's that constant struggle but not not worrying about what other people think which is easier said than done absolutely sure. man i'm glad you had the opportunity to do that and i know that it's a it is a scary thing to do especially like you said doing it at the point where you feel like you know everybody's working towards like building all this financial stability or like, you know, yes. you're supposed to be like getting deeper into the, the rat race and like working these next steps. And, you know, for me at like at 35 or 36, I decided to, 
you know, depart from the rat race and be like, you know what, I'm going to take a year and uh, try to work on all of my stuff. And like, I think you can feel some, uh, maybe some weird judgment. Totally. You know, that you like project from other people or you just like are genuinely like maybe the people that are scared for you are also like a little jealous that you're making that move too. And it's just like, mm-hmm. wait, what? It's just like, yeah, you can actually also do that. And like, obviously people have different circumstances that like, I don't have like children. So I don't have like an obligation and like a financial obligation to someone. So like, I get that, like not everyone can just take a year off or like go explore their passions. But like, I think, I think it's more feasible than some people think to like maybe take a break at least and like realize that like all of your work up until then is still like that body of work still exists and you like it doesn't fuck with like your resume to to take a year off you know it was a chosen thing or whatever totally yeah it's just this i don't know it's just we just you know are living on top of generations and each generation it's like this is what it is this is what it is this is what it is and then it takes a I think the reason um I did a little bit later is just be for that exact reason where it's like whoa wait a minute I don't have to do that yeah but absolutely I I do think it takes some people are just artists and they just claim that they're artists then they've been artists their entire lives I discovered it pretty late um so it was one of those things that, yeah, it took me a couple of years and then being like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. I have this full-time job. If I just save up money for budget, like cut costs for like two years, I can do this. And it's just what yeah. we planned for. It. It's because we grew up in the suburbs, Ross. And this, <laughs> yeah. is, what, this is what your, tra- your mind is trained to do. <laughs> exactly. You grow up and you... You go to college and you get married and you get the house yep. and then you have all of these financial obligations that don't allow you to go chase down your dreams. Exactly. <laughs> They're trying to dim the light on us, Ross. Exactly. <laughs> We're fighting against it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, um, I think we talked off mic a little bit about that. This is usually a nice opportunity for me to get to sit down with people who I don't always have the opportunity to um, have long conversations with. So I'm glad that you and I finally got to do this. Cause I know that we have been kind of rubbing shoulders and been in the room, like same rooms for maybe the last four years or so of totally. you know, missing the, you know, the two significant years of, of the, the height of the pandy. But, right. uh, yeah, we've, we've been around each other for a long time. So I'm glad that we got to like talk and have this, this, uh, this time. Me too. Very, uh, yeah, I've had a great time. And I also just appreciate you're the first one to give us a show. Terrible, <laughs> so. Man, I miss that space a lot. And sometimes I dream about having my own space to like give more of those first opportunities or just to get to like throw shows that I think yeah. are cool. But uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a cherished short lived time with the, the library situation. But yeah. It was a fun, fun little period. It was a fun, fun there. space. And, yeah. and it was my exposure to, you know, this entire circle that you're kind of talking about with Vanny mm-hmm. hands and getting to know Jack and Mel a little bit more mm-hmm. in those willows. And yeah, it's just uh, a lot of those people that I, I keep up with now are from 
from that era of things so totally um i'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh keep up with all the upcoming shows that you have going on and uh people can find the the self-titled Carigold record on uh all of the things is there uh is there anything you want to mention before before i have you sign us out of this thing um thank you for having me this has been wonderful you're very welcome um i'm not sure when this is coming out but we're playing um our next show is december 3rd at the fixin two and then we're playing on the 11th at holocene so if you're in the portland area and want to come see the live act those are the times do it come see Caragold. um we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program and it means absolutely nothing ross it's just a goofy way to end the show my grandfather insists on saying program with a u instead of an a when he's speaking about anything that's on the television love it um so if we could get the uh the Caragold, it's a program we can properly end this thing it's a program he nailed it everybody that's ross from <laughs> Caragold. check out all of the all of the bands that he mentioned today um outside of the the Caragold world and we're gonna play it out with runaway from that self-titled record and that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland or wherever you are listening from cool man we did it give a big shout out to distro kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast can't say thank you enough to distro kid for their longtime support of this thing make sure you go into the episode notes and find that distro kid link to receive 30 percent off your first year of membership making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you so make sure you take advantage of that you can also find the link in my link tree in my instagram bio big thanks to distro kid stay up Stay tuned.